I am excited about what God has put on our heart. Um, in fact, uh, I was contemplating what to speak on, and I had a bunch of different things that kept coming back, and I just, the same verse and pair of verses just kept coming back to my heart. And so I want to, to go there. I'm going to go to John 16, 23 in a moment, but I'm going to start at John 14, 14, 12. It says this, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whoever you ask in my name, or whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. This verse, if we believe this verse, if we were to get this verse to happen in our lives, how many of you realize that would change the way that we function? And that is what we want to focus on, not just tonight, but these Wednesday nights, we want to be talking about how do we bring this verse alive in us. And it says here, whatever you ask in my name. Now, ask is a very loaded word. It can mean quite a variety of things. Sometimes my kids come to me and they ask for stuff. I shouldn't say sometimes, all the time. All the time, my kids are asking something. Sometimes they ask confidently. Sometimes it's just a wing and a prayer. <laughs> They're like, you know, Dad, it'd sure be nice to have a car. My, my, my oldest son asked me again today in, in a subtle way. You know, I was asking him how much he would budget for a car. He's like, I don't know, how much would you budget for a car? You know, like, he's just like, oh, I want to ask. I'm not really expecting to get a car today, but I just, I want to ask. Other times, they ask very confidently, coming in and asking. And I looked it up. So I went to the concordance to look up that word ask. Now, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there are multiple words for ask. One of them means to ask a favor. Another means to ask for what is owed. And we think of it this, and I thought, That's, we're not used to that. And I got to thinking, what would that be like with, with the various types of ask? And I remembered what somebody said. They said, in like the northern reaches of the world where it snows all the time, the Eskimos, in their language, have tons of words for snow. We say snow, and we mean like fluffy snow, wet snow, sleety snow, icy snow, snow on the ground, snow in the air. All of those things we just call snow. But the Eskimos have a different word for each one of those. Now, if you were translating what an Eskimo said, imagine if the Eskimo made this statement. It was snowing, and they used their word for little flakes of ice. 
and it stopped snowing, and then it started snowing big fluffy flakes. But they just used those words. When we translated it, it would be like it was snowing and it stopped snowing and it started snowing. And we wouldn't necessarily see that they said something different. There is a verse in the Bible that kind of comes across that way. I want you to read it with me. John chapter 16, just a little bit beyond that part where he talks about greater works than I do, you will do. He says in John chapter 16, verse 23, he says, In that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive it, that your joy may be full. Now, let's go back and read that again. In that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, you will, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Have you ever read that verse and been like, that doesn't seem to make sense. You're not going to ask, but whatever you ask, you're going to get. So how do you get without asking and asking? The key is that in this verse, there were two different words for ask. And in the concordance, you can see the concordance, Strong's concordance, before the internet, this was like the super Bible study tool and now the internet has caught up and you can just find Google it a, a Strong's Concordance and they assign each letter uh, or each Greek word a number and the number for uh, the first ask is 2065 and this is how they define that it says um, to ask meaning request as a favor so let's read that and that says, in that day you will ask, as in request favors, nothing. So the verse says, in that day you will stop asking me for favors. Then word number 154, which is a different kind of ask, which is translated to demand something owed. And that's what comes in the next several instances of ask. So let's go back and read this scripture, understanding the two different types of ask. And in that day, you will ask me no more favors. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask, knowing it is owed to you, in the Father's name, I will give you. Until now, you have asked me knowing that it was owed to you nothing. But in my, in my name, ask knowing that it's owed to you and you will receive that your joy may be full. Doesn't that just change the perspective? I think about when my kids come and say, can I please, you know, have a friend over to do this? Can I please have ice cream? Can I? They're asking me a favor. If I needed money and I came to you to ask for it, that would be me asking a favor. Hey, can, can I? You got $100 you could spare? I could. But when I go to the bank teller and I ask for $100 from my account that I know has more than $100, it's not the same request, is it? I am asking you as a favor. Hey, you want to give me something? Would you please? 
But I'm the teller. I'm going and saying, I already understand this relationship. You have something that belongs to me. Please give me $100. I'm not asking the same way. I might be polite. One of my kids is famous for, for saying to me, you know, I'll come and hey, would you do this for me? And then I'll be like, how come you didn't do it? He's like, well, you asked. I'm like, no, that wasn't an ask. <laughs> I was telling you politely. I'm your dad. When I tell you to please put away the dishes, that means you better put away the dishes. And when we ask the bank teller for, for, for what is already owed, we do so differently than when we ask a friend to give us some money. And so I want us to think about, well, where does, how do I get to the place where I am not asking God for a favor, but I am understanding that which is already mine? That's what he says here. This is the verse, tonight's verse. Just one main thing is that. It's John 16, 23. And I, I would call this the two types of asking. I want, I, as, as a Christian myself and as you, I want us to grow in our understanding of what is already ours so that we can fulfill this verse in our lives. When I God says, let's, let's listen, let's just read that verse again because to me when I read it and, and insert the full meaning of the two different asks, it's just like, wow. In that day, you will stop asking me for favors. Most assuredly, whatever you ask, understanding it's already yours, the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing, understanding that it was already yours. In my name, ask, knowing that it's yours, and you will receive that your joy may be full. How do we come to a place where we know what is already ours? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 says, Do not cease to give thanks for you. I do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. This is what Paul prayed for the other Christians, that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they would know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. Paul says, my prayer for other Christians is that they will have the eyes of their understanding, their enlightenment, opened so they can see the power that they have according to the working of his mighty power. You have power according to whose power? His power. Where does your power come from? His power. What does Paul want us to see? That our power comes from his power. And we see his power, that's our power. 
He says, oh, I pray that you would understand that. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. What kind of power does he have? He has the kind of power that raised Jesus from the dead. Oh, and that's the power that I want you to understand you have. And that God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So Paul, in his prayers, basically describes the church like somebody who has money in their wallet they don't know is there. Money in their bank account they didn't realize they could write checks on. He says, oh, my prayer to you is that you would understand how much power you have because your power comes from his power and his power raised Christ from the dead. And I want you to see that that power that's his power is also your power. And then when we get that, what would it be like? Luke 10, 19 says, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. What is authority? Authority is delegated power. God says, I have given you authority. It's delegated power. It's power that doesn't come from you, it comes through you. We've used the illustration before. When a policeman stands in the middle of an intersection and puts up his hand and all of the cars stop, it's because the drivers recognize that policeman has the authority of the government. And when they say stop, it's not just some dude in a blue shirt that just said, yeah, I'd prefer if you didn't drive any farther. No, he represents all that power. And if you go against him, he can summon the full power of the government to ensure that you stop next time or that you don't even get to drive your car anymore. Right? Authority is delegated power. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have, over, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. When we have that understanding, when we have that perspective, when we realize that God's in me and his power is there. I've, I've, used, I've told stories before of, of uh, being on a, on a trip in Mexico and, and someone had an encounter with, with, with um, the demonic. And so someone who was there in the hotel where we were staying at um, had a manifestation of demonic power and they were doing weird things and acting weird. And, and <clears throat> so 
We came, we prayed, we rebuked that demon, and the demon left. And there were a bunch of Christians there with us who were freaked out. Like, that had never happened in their church. And they were like, what are we going to do? Oh, no. Where'd the demon go? Is he on this floor? They didn't want to stay on that floor. They were so afraid. And I just remember thinking, oh, if only you understood. The demon left because of the power that's in us. You don't realize the demon is far more afraid of you. Look, I love camping. I love going out in the woods. Like, in Michigan, there are bears. There are bears some of the places that we go. And I have, I have talked to people who, when they discovered bears live there, don't want to go there. And I have to try to explain to them, I say, listen, that bear, it's afraid of you. The difference is, that bear, he might outweigh you. He is afraid, but he might be bigger than you. The thing is, with, with the devil, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We're bigger than the bear. The Bible says he's like a lion. It doesn't say he is a lion. He's like a lion going around. I like the image. He's like a lion with no teeth. Because the God just beat him. The Bible says that Jesus overcame the principalities and powers. Matthew 28, verse 18 says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then verse 19 goes on to say, Go therefore and make disciples. He says, All of the power is given to me, and so I send you to go. Why? Because I have the power, and I give it to you. It is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Ephesians chapter 1, verse well, hold on. Did I skip a verse that I wanted to read? Ephesians 1, 1, 18 through 23 says, The eyes of our understanding. Oh, I read that one already. We're going to jump to Ephesians 2. He made, and you, he made alive who were dead in trespass and sin, in which you walked once according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit who, all, who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also... We all once conducted ourselves. We were once under the prince of the power of the air in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love uh, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up together and made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now, it says that he made us to sit with together in heavenly places. 
Now, to you and I, we just graze over that sit-together part because it's like, oh, well, I mean, I guess we could stand, we could sit, we could do either way. But where does the Bible say that Jesus is seated? It says that he is seated at the right hand of the throne. When we sit with Jesus, that is a place of authority. When Jesus when this was being written and when they were reading this, they were understanding, oh, when we sit with him, that means we're given. In Bible times, if you, you weren't allowed to sit in the presence of royalty. Only those with authority equal to the royalty were allowed to sit in their presence. If you and I are sitting with Christ. That is a picture that we have his authority. It is that same authority. I have been, Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not my life, but I am living his life through me. It's not my power, it's his power. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 14. For as the body is as one and, his mem- and has many members, but all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit... We were made, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not many members, but one. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says again, But he who joined is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Romans 5.17 says it this way, For if by one man's offense death reigned, Through the one, much more, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. You and I have been described as reigning. Who gets to reign? Who reigns? The kings, the royalty, the champions. We share Jesus. Jesus has shared his position of victory with you and I. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Bible says that when in that day we will stop asking God for favors and we will begin to declare that which we already understand We are due. We are not due these things because we are just so great. The Bible says he gave us his authority. What I want to encourage us to to begin to shift in our mind is how do I view myself in relationship to my surroundings. 
how do I view God in relationship to my surroundings? And how far apart are those two things? I want to encourage you to be bringing that together, not because of what you have done, but because of what Christ has done in you. How will we get to a place where we no longer ask a favor but declare what we understand? The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So why am I reading verses after verses after verses after verses? I know. I hope they don't feel bad about this. I sent my message to them earlier today. The response I got is, please next time send it earlier than that. Because I had 14 pages mostly of scriptures. Why? Because the Bible says that faith comes by hearing, but not just hearing anything, hearing the Word of God. And I understand that if my goal is to shift something inside of you that, that increases your faith, increases your confidence that you can not come with a, well, you know, if maybe, sort of, wouldn't it be nice if you'd please heal my cold? but come with that understanding that says, I know that God has given me the authority that he had. He has authority over COVID and any other cold. I declare that in my house, you do not have authority here. In Jesus' name, be gone. And you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus says, in that day when you don't come hoping, requesting, wondering, but you come knowing, understanding, and recognizing that which I have already given you because of what I have already done on the cross, because of what I accomplished, I have given you the authority. You don't have, you don't have the power in and of yourself. You have it through him. But how do you confidently know you have that? When you read the scripture and your faith grows over and over and over, we come to destroy the power of the enemy. The Bible says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this dark age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Contending. I'm reading now from a different translation. It says, contending only with spiritual opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. God, God says, your fight isn't against people. You know, we look at the crazy stuff that's going on in our world. It's a spiritual problem. The rioting, the, the disunion, the division. It's a spiritual problem. I don't see a spiritual problem having a political solution. But a spiritual problem 
can have a spiritual solution. And we stand against that's those spirits of division, the spirit of racism, an ugly, wicked spirit that is, that has been working since eons past. But we rebuke it in Jesus' name. The Bible says in Colossians 2, verse 15, it says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Jesus already defeated the principalities and powers. Matthew 8, 4 through 9, it says, Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, and he showed him all the kings of the world. And he said to him, and this is before Jesus died on the cross, by the way. He said, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship. See, the authority had been given to Satan by Adam and Eve. He says, all of this is given to me. He wasn't bluffing. He had authority. But then the Bible says Jesus went and defeated him and took back that authority. And then what did he do with it? He said, you can have it. Colossians 1, 12 through 6, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. We are no longer under the power of the enemy. Say it with me. I am not under the enemy's power. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. He says, I have that authority, and now I send you with that authority. Now, as, as we close, I'm going to come full circle, and I'm going to go back to the verse that we opened with. John 14, 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do. Because I go to my Father. And whoever you ask, any guesses which ask that is? That is ask number 154 in the concordance. That is the ask knowing that it's due. That's the ask of the teller at the bank, not the neighbor you hope will give you money. He says, ask in my name that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, what kind of ask? A knowing ask from a position of understanding of his authority. Anything in my name, I will do it. Reading again, John 16, 24, 23 and 24, what we opened with. And in that day, you will ask no favors of me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask, understanding it's yours, the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, this is, I can just see Jesus up in heaven saying, so far, you never ask me anything 
from that. You never ask me anything in that type of way. You keep asking me favors, but you don't come and say, I get it. Let me use the authority you've given me. He says, the day is coming someday. You will stop coming and asking me for favors. And in that day, you'll come and you'll ask, knowing that this is what I have given to you. This is already yours. You'll come and pick it up. And when you ask that way, read it again. I like this. This might be becoming my favorite verse. I say to you, whoever, whatever you ask, understanding that it's owed, that it's already yours, the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing understanding that it was already yours in my name. So, he repeats it, ask understanding that it's already yours, and you will receive that your joy may be full. I'm going to close with one, two, three, four, five. Five, just six more verses, all of which include ask number 154, which is understanding that it's owed. All right, are you ready to listen to these scriptures, understanding that this isn't, this isn't the, the, oh, could we pretty please? This is the, I would like to make a withdrawal from that which is already mine, please. This is the understanding. Are you ready? Ephesians chapter 3.20. Most of these verses, if you grew up in church, you've heard them before. But I want you to think about them from, from that second understanding. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask understanding it's ours or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. James chapter 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask knowing it's yours. It's due. Even wisdom. He says, if you don't know what to do, if you can't understand how to handle a situation, what should you do? You should ask. Not, okay, God, if you're... I mean, I don't know what to do, but if you think maybe that I ought to be so privileged as to have insight into this situation, would you please maybe sort of kind of tell me what it... God says, no. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask, understanding that I have already promised to give that to you. When you face a situation and you don't know what to do, God says, come to me with the understanding that I have promised to give you wisdom and ask slash request slash demand that which is yours already. Make a withdrawal from what I've promised you. Write a check against the wisdom I already said I'm willing to give you. Wouldn't that change the way we prayed? If we pray that way, if it's like, okay, God, I don't know what to do, but you know what to do, and you already promised me that what you know about what to do is mine to know. So, red car, blue car, 
Which college? Which situation? You know, I mean, people come and ask me as a pastor, well, what does the Bible say about, you know, this? Well, some things, the Bible says things about borrowing. The Bible says things about investing. The Bible says things about healing. The Bible says things about divorce. The Bible says things, a lot, a lot of things. Sometimes the answer is just written right there. But when someone comes and says, what does the Bible say about which college I'm supposed to go to? What does the Bible say about which person I'm supposed to marry? What does the Bible say about... This is what the Bible says about it. The Bible says, if you lack wisdom in that area, you need to ask me, understanding I have promised you already to give you that wisdom. Okay, moving along. John 14, 13. And I will do whatever you ask, understanding it's due, in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. James 4, 2. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Which ask is that? Ask, understanding that it's already due. James 4.3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. You may spend, that you may spend whatever you get on your pleasures. 1 John 3.22 says, and receive from him anything we ask. Again, that's ask, understanding is due. Because we keep his commands and we do what pleases him. So good. I want to encourage you, our goal, and we've been, we've been plotting about how to make Wednesday more impactful in our lives. And what we uh, feel like God is speaking to us is we're going to try to make our Wednesday nights about equipping us to live supernatural Christian lives. How do we make that verse come alive in our life? How do we come to a point where we confidently ask in the way God describes that He answers? How do we walk out the gifts of the Spirit? God, I believe God has laid out plans for our lives that are very supernatural. He has given us His power. He says He literally expects greater things to happen in our lives than the ones written down about His life in the Bible. Our goal as we continue going forward over the summer and potentially beyond is that we are going to focus on that. So, come on back next week. Join us online. We'll be here online every week, in person as well, seeking to equip each other to live supernatural Christian lives. Are you guys on board? Awesome. Okay. Step number one in living a supernatural life 
is being in a relationship with God. The Bible tells us that everyone has sinned and that sin separates us from God. The Bible explains how because of that separation, God sent Jesus to pay the price of that sin. He died on the cross, not deserving death, but because he didn't deserve it, then his death could pay our debt instead of paying his. We now have access to forgiveness of our sin, which is also access to relationship with him, to eternity with him. If you don't, if you know, how about that? If you know that you've been forgiven, I want you to raise your hand. Even at home, if you know you're forgiven, I'm happy for you. But some of you don't know. You don't know for sure. And the Bible says you can know. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says if you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and confess with your mouth that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. So I want to encourage you, whether you're here in this room or you're home uh, or anywhere in between, if you want to know that you're right with God, let's do what that verse just described. Let's pray. Let's declare with our mouth and let's believe with our heart that Jesus died and rose from the dead and we will be saved. And when you say amen, you will know that your sins are forgiven, that you are right with God and that that power that authority that he has, he is extending to you. Let's pray. Just repeat after me. Dear God, I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the dead. I believe you did that so I could have my sins forgiven. I accept that forgiveness and I make you the Lord of my life. Thank you, Father. Amen.